This is episode 194 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2011 Winter Youth Celebration with Hugh Halter. This is session two. Oh, hey. Hi. Y'all up? You awake? Okay, so I asked for a little... I can't see any of you. Are you all there? Get any more house lights at all? I want to be able to talk to you. And if you raise a hand, did I tell you that ahead of time? Like, you can raise a hand. You can actually start a fight with me if you want. It would, like, perk us all up if it starts to get low a little bit. And I had uh, some of you in the hallway asking about my tattoo. So, you know, I don't want to talk about myself, but I did want to. Here, can you see that anywhere? Um, it was in the Middle East, uh, Jerusalem, last year. And we were staying in Bethlehem. Um, and around Bethlehem is a 30-foot wall, cement wall, that the uh, folks there built up to keep the Palestinians out of Israel. It's called the West Bank. And uh, inside, on that wall, on the inside, is some of the most beautiful graffiti, uh, both religious and political. And uh, this particular one is about 30 feet tall. And down below here was an uh, unbelievable portrait of the entire city of Jerusalem, the old city. And uh, it's basically just to me, it just kind of stuck out to me because we, we were in there, um, and when you're in the city, you can't find Jesus. And this was a depiction of Jesus basically going, let me let a ladder back, can I get back in the city? Um, it's really a picture of the incarnation, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but when you're in there, has anybody ever been to the Holy Lands at all? Okay, just a few of you. Well, when you get in the city, it was kind of interesting. You know, you, you read all the stories in the scripture. You, you have images of what you think it might have been like. And when we went in from uh, Amman, Jordan side, down uh, where Moses looked over into the valley, and then we went, went up into Jerusalem, I was in the van with all these leaders from uh, the U.S. And I remember I went into kind of a trance because I thought, I'm going to actually finally see like this old city. Uh, where Jesus actually walked. And uh, we got in there, and we decided to go up to the Mount of Olives, which is a story many of you know where uh, Jesus uh, you know, had his trouble with the Roman centurions, and they hauled him in, and Peter lopped off the dude's ear and all that stuff. That, so I was like all excited to see this. And you can actually, you're, you're 300 yards from the city wall where you can see the whole deal. And we get up there, and I'm all excited. And um, I expected olive groves and hillside and kind of cool stuff like that. And all there was was grave sites, uh, Jewish grave sites. And they build them up above the, the earth so they're not in the ground. They're just huge coffins all over the place. And it looks like a big sea of cement. And they, they built them there because they believe when the Messiah, they're still waiting for the Messiah. When the Messiah comes back, he's going to come back from the east. And so they build their there are big boxes there, so they will be raised first and all that type of stuff. And I was a little disappointed because I had no experience with the Lord there like I thought I was going to. Well, eventually we move into the city, and uh, we go to where uh, maybe some of you have seen the Wailing Wall. Uh, it's where a lot of the, um, the Jewish people will do a lot of their stuff. And there's, just, there's little vending areas all over the place. And in between the vending areas are all these shrines and churches. So you'd have a Greek Orthodox and then, uh, you know, uh, Egyptian Orthodox. You'd have all sorts of, you know, shrines built up where you can't get any sense of 
oh wait, Jesus walked here, so what would that have looked like? And I found myself getting a little bit miffed. Um, had some guy that was actually selling like corn dogs uh, in there, and I just thought, that just, it's like not the feel like I was expecting. Well, eventually we went down to what was called the Holy Sepulchre, which is where Jesus was supposedly, that's where he died, that's where he was crucified. And they have, of course, three different church services all going on differently. They do their own different style. Um, it's kind of, you know, you hear all the different noises, you get kind of goofed up. Like, you, you can't really have, like, this cool, quiet moment. And then one of the guys in our party, he goes, hey, because we were being led by a tour, one of them said, hey, come with me. Um, I can actually show you, like, the actual spot where Jesus died. So I got my undies in a wad and all excited. And so we went down there, uh, went through this little tunnel, and up to this little section that was cut out of this rock. And there was this iron door with a little keyhole. And he goes, look right through there. That's actually where, where they entombed him. So I got down there, and sure enough, you could see into this area that looked legit. And I started to have like a little man moment there. And I remember thanking Jesus, like I said, Jesus, thank you for dying. I got a little misty. And my buddy was tapping me on the butt saying, let me, I was like, no, just let me have my moment here. Like I can finally see like where Jesus was. And then all of a sudden a church service stopped and a bunch of the old rabbis came walking in and they were laughing and joking and drinking the extra wine. And they, one of their, their rear ends was right in the middle of the, the key. Like I couldn't, all of a sudden I, I couldn't see Jesus anymore. And I walked out of there. I was kind of was done. It's like you can go in the entire city of Jerusalem and you cannot find Jesus there. And it's a great story in some ways. You know, this last session we talked about how many of us have grown up in a Christian space and we might have missed the main message of Jesus, right? The kingdom of God, the main message. I also think we might have missed the actual figure of who he is. And if there's a new kingdom, You've got to know the king. If, if you don't know the king, you're going to be disoriented and you're not going to be able to understand him for yourself. You're not going to be able to really portray him to your friends. It just won't make sense. In fact, let me give you a couple things that I wrote down. Like when I grew up, here were some things that I thought about Jesus. Um, so, you know, maybe make a men mental note. Are any of these images the images that, that maybe you think of when you think of Jesus? Um, I first of all thought of him as a policeman or a judge. You know, somebody that was always checking things out. And I, I primarily looked at him as somebody that was going to, you know, basically give me spankings every day. I was always saying I was sorry. Constantly saying I was sorry. Sorry, I know, I blew it again, sorry. My bad, you know. Um, anybody kind of have that image? Policeman, judge? Okay, got a few. Um, old, nice, senile grandpa. Kind of like, you know, he's not quite in the game anymore. You know, you know, back in the day, he probably had a swerve going, but, you know, he's just kind of lost. He got out of touch, doesn't really understand what we go through today. He's just kind of like that old grandpa, and, you know, you're glad he's in the room, but when he says stuff, you really don't take him seriously. After all, an old grandpa just kind of lets it all go anyway, right? It's people that go, oh, it's, anyway, it's all about love, dude. Anybody grow up with that idea? Old Happy, nice grandpa. Doesn't really have much to say about the practicals. You know, yeah, I listened to him about the other stuff, the heaven, hell stuff, all that. 
but the sexuality stuff, pornography, nah, not, not really, I don't think he really understands what I'm going through. That would be that. Um, if you grew up in certain parts of our country 100 years ago, you might have grown up with the idea that Jesus, or God, was racist. That he, he, was, uh, he viewed some people with incredible love, and he hated other people. Sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you kind of get this idea that he, had, he played favorites, right? So you might not think that maybe you're in, you're in the favorite list. Um, or you might actually think, um, like... Uh, like he's sort of that mean, schizophrenic father on Prozac. You know, my sister was, was chemically schizophrenic, so she would go from manic, depressive, she would be fine one minute, and the next minute she would flip, and she'd be hallucinating, seeing grizzly bears chasing her in her home. That was really awkward when you had friends over, by the way, so try to avoid that. But just kind of flip-flops. You, you, you read them in the New Testament, Jesus seems kind of, kind of cool, kind of nice. Old Testament... You just kind of go, what's up? Why so cranky, you know? Take some meds. Like, what, how you doing with that anyway? Uh, some of you, you've heard uh, Jesus referred to or God as your father. Right there, most people go cross-eyed and go, that's a hard image because I'm not really doing that good with dad. I don't get the dad thing. So heavenly father, no, kind of weird. Uh, maybe some of you view him as a screaming coach. Uh, I told you about our 0-9 football season. Um, what, the other thing I remember about that season was our coach. Good guy. I think he generally cared about us, but he always would grab you by the face mask, and he would scream at you and spit at you that he wanted to make you better. But it was always a pretty bad experience. Having your neck jerked and being belittled in front of people but with this idea that I got good motives for you, trying to help you. Maybe, maybe some of those things have been how you view, you view God. When you, see, when you see stuff like that, or you read little pieces about God, uh, you will piece together a really jacked up view of who the king is. And it will disorient you. Stuff happens in life and you go, I just don't get it. Um, in fact, there was a this guy named Bosco that... Uh, about a year ago, a friend of mine from Los Angeles asked me if I would uh, perform a wedding ceremony uh, between a Seventh-day Adventist girl and this atheistic Irishman. And I like the Irishman thing, so I'm like, I'm in. Let me help out with that. And it was held on a Seventh-day Adventist uh, compound, um, and they forbid alcohol because of, of their religious viewpoints on that. And Bosco's an Irishman. So... You know, he's about to have a wedding, so what's, what's a normal Irishman expected a wedding? But sure enough, there's nothing there. And I met with the, the gal, she flew out. Uh, he was actually pretty famous. He was in the movies. I actually knew of some stuff that he had done, so I was interested to meet this guy. And uh, his fiance began to tell me about his story back in, in Dublin. Uh, when he was, I think, five years old, his family had to move down to Dublin, but they were all from Belfast, and they were some of the families that led some of the revolution. And when Bosco was about five, his, uh, his uncle was killed, shot in front of the family. And then about uh, a year later, um, while Bosco was in his kitchen with his family, they heard a bunch of ruckus outside and the mom pushed Bosco under the kitchen table and said, be quiet. And all of a sudden, some men came in, held Bosco's father at gunpoint 
and were threatening his life. And Bosco, he said for the first time ever, he prayed that God would save his father. And didn't. Father died. Bosco was holding on to his puppy dog, trying to feed it milk to keep it quiet. And she told me to this day, Bosco loves the smell of dog's breath. But Bosco that day decided, I'm not going to believe in God. I prayed to him once. He didn't show. I'm out. Still an atheist. So I meet Bosco at the wedding. And uh, this is is not to put on YouTube later. This is just, I took Bosco off the grounds. We were taking pictures. I got him in the Jeep. I said, hey, I'm going to take the groom off for a little gift. And so I had uh, gotten Bosco some little Irish stuff. And I took him off the grounds. We pulled off in the Jeep. And I took off a little, just poured Bosco a little, little Jameson. And Bosco started to cry. I said, I'm sorry. I should have got you something better. He said, <laughs> he said no. He says, you did that for me? I said, yeah. I just felt like that would be important to you today. And uh, And then he prayed a blessing over me. And I said, Bosco, I thought you didn't believe in God. He says, I didn't until today. So sometimes things happen in life that disorient us. They they shut us off to actually believing that there is a God or that he's something that he's not. And I really want to help you understand what Jesus is like. And the word that I, I shared in that video, sacrilegious, I want to talk to you about that because that's essentially about um, a new word I want you all to learn. It's called incarnation. So I told you in the last session that God wants you to be missional, right? It means to be sent. But if you're sent and you're sent without being incarnational, it's it's actually a bad dream. The incarnation, um, those of you that took, how many of you did Advent stuff over Christmas? Advent's where you're trying to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And all that, it's all about the incarnation, that God took on flesh. That's what incarnational means, to take on flesh. I'm going to give you kind of a slide. Hopefully it's there. Nope. Oh, well. There we go. So you see a little baby. That's the incarnation. God took on flesh, became a person, a human being, took on our earth suit. So missional, it kind of is what we lead out with. We go out to the world. But incarnational is how we go. And what we do as we go. And whether or not we carry on the posture and the life of Jesus. And the point of incarnation, John 1.14 says, And the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we perceived his glory. That's the point of incarnation is that you can cut through all the disorientation. All the false images of what you think God is. And you can get it. So God knew, if I don't send my son, I love the world. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he missional, that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him would not have to perish anymore, but would be able to have eternal life, okay? John 1, 14, the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we perceived his glory. God knowing that if he just sends you some doctrine about God, you're gonna miss it. If he just sets up some shrine, some historical places, you're gonna miss it. If you just hear stories about him, In church, growing up your whole life, if you're Jewish and all you hear about is God, the Messiah is coming someday, guess what? You will miss it, and almost all of them did when the Messiah finally showed up. So the only only way to cut through the disorientation is that you can meet somebody face-to-face and that people would have remembered 
what Jesus was like. They would have remembered the tone of his voice. He grabbed some disciples. He would walk them around. They would see how Jesus would interact with people. And they'd go, that's not how we would expect a holy man to do that. He was absolutely sacrilegious with everything. And sacrilegious sounds bad, doesn't it? But it's not the same as defaming or defiling or profaning. It's not meant to belittle anything. It's not meant to say, hey, you grew up with that tradition, so screw it. It's not that. Sacrilege is about tearing away religion so you can really see what's really there. And there's some images that I think we've got to tear down. So we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. But I want to now have you walk through some of the scripture with me. This is about Jesus. This is about your king. It's out of Colossians. The sun is the image of the invisible God. So we don't really get to see God, the Father. But he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible. means that Jesus was there at the time of creation. Okay? Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Remember, first of all, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you're trying to figure out what God is really like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Hebrews, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets, at many times in various ways. And he really did. God sent prophets. He sent people that would give dreams. So you could kind of get a feel for what God was like because really wild stuff was happening. But it stopped. About 300 years before Jesus showed, God stopped talking. People were going, How, like, did we miss the whole thing? But he says now, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Get this, the son, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact, Jesus is God. Trying to figure it out, I don't get the Old Testament, just look at Jesus and you will get God. Then John 14, 9 says, that anyone who has seen me, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father, the Father is in me? The world, uh, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You get that point? When you look at things that happen in the church and you go, I'm tired of that crap. So I'm punting, tapping out. You've lost. Because Jesus isn't the church. Jesus is Jesus. When you look at other Christians and they act like you don't think that we should act, and you go, I don't want to be one of those. In fact, my daughter Allie, a couple of years ago, we're riding in the car. She was probably 14 at the time. She actually goes, hey, Dad, just thought you should know. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I was just trying to play it cool. You know, I figured this is one of those moments. Like I got to act cooler than I'm actually feeling right now. And she realized your dad's a pastor. I go speak. People think I'm, I write books. So if you go out on me, it's going to look bad. You know? But I'm thinking. So I just said, uh, okay, so what happened? She said, I don't really want to talk about it. I said, well, there must be some reason why you don't want to be a Christian anymore. And then she started to share about uh, some, some of the Christian kids at the high school that had cornered one of the girls she, that she played hockey with. 
and they were basically making fun of her because she was lesbian. And uh, I said, okay, I get that. I just said, what would you picture Jesus doing? If you picture Jesus being in the hallway with you and watching that and stepping into that, standing next to you, what do you picture Jesus doing? And Allie goes, oh, I think he would beat the crap out of. <laughs> I said, okay, it's a good start. Probably, maybe not far off. But sometimes when that happens, you actually, when, when Christians behave poorly, or when Christians go wild, you go, well, I don't want to be one of those. But remember, Jesus is not Christian. Okay, Jesus is not the church. When stuff goes wrong, that's not Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of those things. So always look to Jesus. You've got to get past some of those images if you're going to stay in the game. So I'm going to give you some of what I would call poor images. How's this guy? Let me ask you some questions about this fella. Is this fellow religious? Probably. Okay. Is this fellow probably a Bible-believing dude? Probably. Is, is he bold? Yes. Clearly, he's bold. Is he fervent? I mean, he went out in a Speedo. And after he put a Speedo on, don't picture that in your mind, but after he put the Speedo on, he would have grabbed that big, massive, looks like probably an eight-pound cross. He probably would have, this is not just for looks. He's fervent. He's, is he evangelistic? As far as intent, probably. So what's wrong with this picture? Well, a lot, right? Right? <laughs> what this really represents is somebody that's missional without being incarnational. Somebody that is trying to represent an image that they have. And he probably believes that the image he's supposed to portray is God as a judge. So I'm just going to put Jesus out there. If they don't want to respond, whatever, but I'm going to throw it out there. I want to draw attention. That's not incarnational. There's some other images that you might, uh, these are kind of from my era. These are like little Jesus pictures I've picked up along the way. This is what we call spooky Jesus. A spooky Jesus is just flat out. If you turn off all the lights in the room and you just shine that and my daughters come walking, they will freak. On the, I tried that. There's buddy Jesus. Probably more of our contemporary Jesus. It seems like we like to present him as our buddy, our friend. Well, when I just read those scripture to you, can you really call Jesus a buddy? There's one scripture that says, uh, that he is a friend. So you could probably call him that, but should that, is he buddy Jesus? Is he, no, he's the image of the invisible God. He saw, he was there at the time of the creation of the universe. Probably it's not wise to go, he's my buddy. Probably more better to say he's my Lord, right? Sunday school Jesus? You'll notice in all these, yeah, he's kind of a cute Jesus. You notice in all of these, Jesus looks kind of Norwegian, right? <laughs> sort of Swedish. All the kids are Norwegian. Redhead, all that. One that actually looks Irish. I can go with that. And we have Jesus, my boyfriend. This one just always looked weird to me. 
Yeah, I know it's all, that almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? But there are a lot of the, even like I listen to some of the, the contemporary Christian music, it actually makes Jesus sound like he's your boyfriend. He's not your boyfriend. Okay? Not good. Bearded lady Jesus. I didn't know how else to frame this. Designer Jesus. Look at the eyes on Jesus right there. It's just, it's hard, it's hard to get at the real Jesus. And this is why I want you to take the word sacrilegious really seriously. Because this is the question I'm going to ask you. It's related to this thing, is that most of us created Jesus that we want to create. And if you do that, you will miss him every time. He is not who you would probably pick. When you see Jesus coming on the scene, now put yourself back in those days. Jesus comes and he begins to say things like this. You don't need the temple anymore. Your whole, your whole world revolves around worship at the synagogue. He says, actually, you don't even need the temple anymore. You don't need the priests anymore. Well, how would that have flown with you? Not so cool, right? He was a complete lawbreaker. He broke more laws than anybody that you would read about in scripture. He was, he was the worst one in scripture as far as behavior goes. So he broke all the ceremonial laws. He let his disciples break all the laws. Remember when they got, he said, hey Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? I don't know. We, we saw them walking through the field. They were grabbing wheat on the Sabbath. Why were they eating on the Sabbath? Well, they were hungry. Now you would have been actually sitting around your dinner table and you would have heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. You know, back in those days, if like the donkey ran over your little four-year-old on the way to the synagogue, you'd have to basically let the donkey sit in the ditch. And they would have started hearing, you know, did you hear Jesus actually help that old guy get the donkey out of the ditch? Jesus was absolutely sacrilegious with everything. He also got pissed a lot. He would, he would, he would literally F-bomb the pastors of the day. He called them whitewash sepulchers. Called them all sorts of things. He used a word called raka. Raka was the F-bomb of the day. He just used it out in the middle of his teaching to actually make another point. He, was, I mean, he would have blown your mind. He would have been the least religious person you would have ever met in your life. And the sacrilegious element of Jesus was his incarnation. It's when, when people go, in fact, it says at the end of John, it says, hey, many people saw and believed, but blessed are you who don't, you don't get to see him anymore, but you still believe. There was eyewitnesses of Jesus, and there was a story of the eyewitnesses where they would go, look, I was with the guy, and I remember how he was with that woman, that Samaritan woman. We were actually judging him. Jesus, why would you talk with the Samaritan? And he had to, as we were walking down the road, he had to spank us a little bit. They would have said, but we remember, he was right. I remember the time that woman was brought out, the woman that was caught in adultery. Total, total horror. Remember, we were all wondering, the religious guys were trying to judge, what are you going to do now, Jesus, with the horror? And we remember when Jesus stooped down next to her. She was already down there. She, was, she couldn't even breathe. She was so afraid. She had her whole family around. It was humiliating. Even her own family had to pick up rocks to try to stone their own family member. 
I remember I could listen to her gasping for air. She was sobbing and all. I remember Jesus doing a stooping down next to her. And then he stood up and I remember him basically telling all of us, if any of you haven't sinned, go ahead and start chucking the rocks. Everybody left. And then Jesus got back down again. He drew something. I don't remember what it was. That was what we remember about Jesus. He was like, his friends were the outcasts. His friends were the losers. His friends were the prostitutes. He wasn't like the holy men that we thought. That's the, that's the incarnation. That's your king. You like the idea of the kingdom, right? God fixing things on the earth. Would you let Jesus be the king? Would you let the lawbreaker be your leader? Would you let him actually call the shots for you? I know you've got your friends, you do your little small group, your little Bible study together, it's the same friends you hang out with all the time. Would you let Jesus come in and be a part of your small group? And would you go out on a Friday night where he would want to go out? I don't know. I don't know if, my, I don't know if that would look right. And I'm not sure you will let Jesus be Jesus. There's parents that call my house on nights where there's parties around the high school and they will ask me if my daughters are going to be there. And my daughters decided after one of their friends was hurt in an alcohol-related accident that they would go to parties. They would go there on mission to make sure that their friends got home. So parents got word of this and they would start telling is Allie and McKenna, are they going to be there? We had to make a decision as parents, do we send our kids? And we had to go... They seem to be strong enough, yeah, let's send them. Just like I send McKenna, I, I, I applaud her stepping into an abusive situation and getting hurt, like I applaud that. Because I know that her king can protect her and her king wants her to do that. You say, well Hugh, yeah, but I can't, I don't wanna go, bad stuff happens at the parties. You gotta remember, your king's not afraid of the parties. I know, but there's, Kids that do crappy stuff, I don't want to be a part of that. I want anywhere. But your king went to those places. Your king hung out with those students. What, is, what might that say to you? Is it, are you sure that your God only wants you to hang out with just your friends? If you really, th if you really think that, I'm not sure if you actually want Jesus to be your king. See, it gets hard because Jesus is sacrilegious. He doesn't, want, he doesn't care that you're religious. He's glad that you will have your own personal devotion time. He's glad, but if you only do personal devotion times and you only go to church and you only go to worship and you never take on his life of the kingdom, I'm not sure who your God is. If you're not at times afraid to do something for God, I'm not sure if you're following Jesus. Because Jesus, your king, is an adventurer and he will say, look, here's what we're, here's what we're gonna go do. He's crazy that way. What do you think about this? Is this upsetting? Or is it, maybe, opened your mind to things.
How many of you feel tension right now if that Jesus is your king? Like in some way you feel tension. How many of you feel somewhat of like, I'm glad he's different than what I was taught he was? There's probably a little bit of both. I can tell you most of my life, guys, when, when I have felt God saying to do something, I've been scared to death. And then I've followed, and sometimes I haven't followed. But when I've followed, I've seen God. I've been able to perceive his glory. And I go, I'm so, I'm so glad you're like that. I'm gonna leave you with a couple questions. Because I, th- I think for you, you need to get the Jesus thing straight for you. If Jesus is just your savior, the one that is gonna make sure everything's cool when you're done with this life, if that's all he's good for, that's actually good enough, that's called grace. You can, you can go through life that way. But you will probably, at some point in your life, you'll tap out, you go, I don't even, what's, what's the point of this thing? And you'll probably be with other Christians that have done that too. We like the savior thing, but not the, not the Lord thing. I don't really want him to be a king. If you do that, you'll probably be a bored Christian. And you'll look back after 30, 40 years like so many people my age do, and they go, I, didn't, I don't think I ever did anything for God. If you don't think Jesus cares about your sexual struggles, and you, you block him out of that, you will also tap out someday because you will whittle away at your soul so long you will finally go, I got no purpose even claiming to follow Jesus, and you'll, you'll quit. If you let him be king over every part of you, you might find that you start to, you start to f- perceive his glory because he helps you through that stuff. And you need to figure out Jesus not just for you, you need to figure out the true image of Jesus for your friends, for your world. Because they are disoriented right now. They're, they're disoriented by religion. They're disoriented by Christians. They're disoriented by what they see on TV. They're disoriented by moms and dads who claim to follow Jesus and who live like crap. You do not live an inspiring story in front of the kids and so you get disoriented. Is that all there is? You need to be the ones that go on mission for God but also learn to incarnate your life just like Jesus did so that people can perceive the true Jesus, the holy, perfect man that hung with lost people, the sacrilegious Jesus who, who fought injustice, who got totally pissed at religion that was bent on raising money. It's okay, you can expose that Jesus. So consider that tonight. Jesus, new Jesus for you, new Jesus for your friends. I'm gonna leave you with kind of a final image. This is just something that hit me a few, uh, few months ago. Because I told you, I'm starting over. I'm kind of studying and starting over with the kingdom for the last seven years. I'm just now starting to like, really take the full Jesus seriously. This is um, it's a wild scripture out of John 17. This is after Jesus has spent three years with his friends, okay? And he's praying to the Father because he's about ready to release the fate of the human race on 11 dudes, okay? So he prays some cool stuff, but he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now listen, that they may be one 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's interesting that Jesus' primary prayer was not, God, I pray that you would convert the world so they can someday come to heaven. He actually prayed that you and I would be one with him. He's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we would actually be with them. Jesus is going, as, as much as I've been connected to you, I've only done what you've told me to do while I've been down here. I want them to, to, like, to be in us. This thing that I feel with you and with the Spirit, I want everybody. It's the conversion. It wasn't just that you would know things about God and go to church. It was that he wants you to be, as he would say later, Paul would say, adopted into the family. That you're brought and your life is now spent learning this beautiful relationship that you have. And it is about your conversion. But it's about your full conversion to actually the life of Jesus. So imagine now you're brought into the family. You have all the privileges of dad and the son and the spirit. You have all the grace. You can screw up the rest of your life and you still are part of the family. And now you're sitting around the table and the scriptures say that the Father is always at work. He's still working. He's still trying to pursue the world. still trying to pursue you. And they start talking about their mission out there. And they would say, yeah, I gave you everything. You guys got it. You're, you're good. But I need you in the mission with me. I need you guys at some point in your life to start dropping a ladder into the lives of people that don't know Jesus. And I need you to start, as I live 30 years without saying a word, I need you to be patient. I need you to drop in for four years with that friend and don't preach at him. Don't try to convert him. Just be like I was with people. I had integrity with my job and my business. Work with integrity. If it's Starbucks or Burger King, I worked 30 years. I didn't say anything. Just Would you just... Be a great employee in front of your friends. Would you incarnate? This is probably the talk that I think you're going to struggle with the most. Um, and so I'm going to pray for you in a minute. But I want you to really, if this is something, most of the questions that you'll have about how do I really live are going to be related to this. Go on mission. Yeah, I get it, Hugh. We should all go out there. How you go. Will you go like Jesus? I think that's where it's hard. Some of you shouldn't go to some places because right now you're too weak. If you go, you would fall. Some of you are strong enough. The Christ in you has matured you and you should go. And you might have to leave. You might have to leave your Bible study because your friends won't go there with you. They actually judge those other kids, those other students. But you can go, you love them. You might have to leave some of your friends. Like it gets hard. If you let Jesus be king, it gets hard. But if you do, that's what will reroute your life. At the end of some years, you'll go, Jesus, use me. So um, let me pray over you guys tonight. God, um, I still don't fully get you. I feel like I'm just starting as a kid again. And yet here are some beautiful students that um, have learned some things about you, have gotten some points.
poor images. Maybe they've got some great images. But God, I pray that you would uh, start to cut through all the religion. In fact, I pray that these students would be able to go back to their worlds. And I pray that they would be holy, but I pray they would be the least religious people their friends have ever met. I pray that, that that sense of whimsical holiness would freak out their friends. That their incredible generosity, their incredible grace, their incredible inclusion of those that are on the outs would actually blow their world away. God, we love you tonight. May you just, uh, may you just whisper your grace and your mercy over each one of us. God, we have failed you. We have not lived your way. We've tried to represent you. We've tried to throw big crosses on our crazy bodies. But I pray that these people would actually walk as Jesus did. In your name, amen.